We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's your true faith, Newcastle United podcast. First full free podcast of the season. And Newcastle got beat. They didn't just get beat. They got a little bit humiliated in the second half. 4-2 defeat. Three unanswered goals in 11 minutes. You've got Alex Hurst, Michael Collin at True Faith HQ. And at various parts of the country, you've got Norman Riley and Pete Davey uh, to talk us through what happened, what went wrong, what were the positives, what were the negatives. Of course, you can join us for lots more of these podcasts on our Patreon platform, £5.50 a month. We would love to have you on board. It keeps all of this stuff free. It, uh, it keeps True Faith going. Please, uh, please consider joining if you like the podcast. Okay, I was at the match yesterday. Uh, it was a really, really good day. Really good day. Uh, I know we got beat. I know everything's terrible. <laughs> but um, but we're going to talk about that a little bit. Mickey, I'm going to start with you. You weren't at the game. You watched the game on television. What on earth went wrong for Newcastle United yesterday, mate? Is it too easy an answer to just say everything after half-time? Or, um, it was it was just utterly dismal, wasn't it? The, the transformation in the team and the, the mindset from first half to second half was... I mean, the only word you can use is remarkable, but in, in, in the most negative way possible. I, th- I feel like everything we did well in the first half just, just completely and utterly stopped. And it was very, very typical of a of a Steve Bruce performance for me. Like, there was no plan. There was no, I don't know, there was no, there was no like, mindset change to, to, to close out the game in the second half. There's no, there's no smartness or nous. It was just a, it was just like a, a bunch of lads in the second half on the on on a, on a Sunday morning, like who got together that don't know each other. That was the kind of level of performance we got in the second half. So I, I mean, quite literally, everything went wrong. Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty damning. Yeah, I'll move it on to the other lads. Then we we'll let let let's get right into Newcastle United problems. This is the True Faith podcast. We've been doing the seven seasons now, and uh, that's what we do. We <laughs> talk about why Newcastle United aren't very good at what they're supposed to do. Norman and Pete, you you both uh, text me saying you, you wanted to talk about fullbacks, so maybe you can take one each and then feed off each other. Norman, why didn't you kick one off, mate? You told me and you've identified that Newcastle's fullbacks were a, fullbacks were a massive issue yesterday. Would you go as far as to say as the fullbacks cost us the game? Am I being a, a, trad, a tad dramatic? Possibly a tad dramatic. I think the the overall team performance, especially when West Ham got the third goal, even the second goal to a certain extent, what we saw was the, the usual midfield dropping back really deeply we were effective the two times we scored it was because of the midfield pressing right the first goal especially that was Shelby like basically on the uh, you know right up the other end of the pitch pressing what happens is we score a goal and we just drop off straight away there's no kind of desire to just 
hit them again, get a second. It's almost like, oh, we've taken the lead. What are we doing now? We don't know what to do when we, when we take the lead, almost. Um, so it would be harsh to, to blame the full black full backs slash wing backs, but they're um, obviously you're looking at playing to what a winger's really. I mean, Murphy Murphy's an out and out winger. I don't think there's any other way of looking at it. Richie, okay, he could be a wide midfielder, but ultimately in the Premier League now, would he be playing regularly as a, as a wide midfielder? Probably not. Would many clubs select him? Probably not. And um, we know that he can whip in a brilliant cross. He's got good set piece delivery, but ultimately. He's not somebody you think, well, actually, looking through the Premier League, he would be playing wide midfield for, you know, 90 minutes for most of the season. Um, he, he doesn't have the doesn't have the pace anymore to do that in the Premier League, I don't think. So it's always a risk playing him and Murphy at wing-back. We knew that, right? We knew that. But like, towards the end of last season, it was very much a, a make-do uh, with the pair of them. And it worked because we played a lot of teams towards the end of the season who didn't necessarily have anything to play for. And, you know, we saw the defensive frailty the defensive failings but at the same time it didn't matter because they gave us something going forward and other teams weren't necessarily targeting them too much because as I say that they, they weren't really going sort of hell for leather in the last six or seven games yesterday what we saw was a football team in West Ham who just knew they knew what to do right and, and unfortunately Murphy and Richie can't necessarily defend I'm not saying they kind of put a tackle in but there's a big difference between being, being able to read a game from a defensive perspective and it's the positioning right that's that's what caught them out is a positioning that didn't know where they were supposed to be. So going forward as wing-backs, no bother because that's the game. Defensively, neither of them have played in defence until the last sort of, what, 12 months. They've never played in defence before. It's not something you can just learn overnight. And, and you know, and, and it's not something that really you're going to start learning in your, what, your mid, mid-20s to early-30s um, like Richie is. So I think if we want to play with wing-backs, we spoke about this, me, you and Pete. Jamal Lewis needs to be given that opportunity because he is a defender and he is a wing-back, Jamal Lewis, I think. Um, and on the right-hand side, we're going to struggle with Murphy there because, as I say, no matter what he gives a going forward, he scored a good goal, he, he's got a wicked shot, he can put a cross in, he'll take a man on, cannot defend. And unfortunately, we don't have the centre-halves to provide that defensive cover um, to make up that kind of deficit. So it's a concern. If this is the formation going forward, a lot of teams are just going to think, well, we're now what to do. Yeah, we're just targeting behind Richie and Murphy because... We're going to get joy all the time. Um, no, I, I, I agree with uh, a lot of what Norman said. It was, for me, uh, I think it was probably sort of 80% of, of why we conceded the goals we did uh, yesterday. Uh, I, Norman was absolutely right. It is, it is absolutely the positional play of our wing-backs uh, in, in defensive scenarios in that they're both loving and liking the fact that they can get forward. But in a game where we're winning and where just after half-time, the, the, the conversation should have been, we need to hold it, hold the fort, don't concede, don't concede anything silly uh, and, and hold our position, is that they were still bobbing forward and getting lost, getting back. It was quite clear to see that after sort of 55 minutes that Matt Ritchie w- was shot. He had nothing left in the tank, nothing left whatsoever. Now, we've got to bear in mind, and, and I've been saying this for probably eight or nine months now, that when Matt Ritchie had that horrendous injury um, uh, the season before last um, and he was out for a chunk of time, he came back having lost a yard of pace. Um, and he's never got that back. In fact, I'll probably say he's lost two yards of pace now. And I think that was there for all to see. 
um, in his performance yesterday. Now, if you're having to think about your fitness, your positional play then becomes a second thought. And with that, that's where the, that's where the problems start to kick in. Now, as a manager, you need to be seeing that on the pitch. So as a fan, if I can see that at 55 minutes to say that he's absolutely shot and you've got this, you've got someone on the bench that can play left wing back who's a supreme athlete and has been making sort of, you know, runs and fitness um, stats off the charts during pre-season in Jamal Lewis and you're not bringing him on, then you're as much to blame as the players are. Uh, in my opinion, because, you know, that should have been seen and that should have been changed. And I think if that had changed um, early on, I, I, I don't think some of those goals would have been conceded. Um, I mean, I won't touch too much more on the fullbacks. I think Norman's covered it. I just wanted to add my little piece on that. Um, and, and that was really sort of aimed at Richie. I thought, uh, you know, Jacob Murphy was, was slightly better, um, but caught out particularly with the first goal with poor, poor positioning. If you look at where he is, uh, when the ball gets played in by Cresswell, he's literally doubling up on marking, um, the inside midfielder, uh, with Hayden. Literally, they're both standing right next to him. Whereas if it had been five yards further out, that cross never comes in and we don't concede the goal. Um, but, I, 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 I'll go on to talking about the centre backs if if you want. Uh, yeah, please do, please do. Um, I'm really, really concerned going into this season with our with our current crop of centre backs. Um, we've not had to say that for a while because normally they've been our go to because we've had so many of them, and normally they're they're all sort of Mister Dependables. Uh, but I'm really concerned because I think that dependable centre-backs that we considered uh, for so many years is starting to disappear. Um, And it starts with the captain. I think it was a big, big call. And I think it tells a lot the fact that he was subbed um, and started on the bench um, yesterday. And I think it's that... That old argument of um, Lascelles not wanting to play on the right or left of the centre-back uh, three, um, and, and he only wants to play in the centre. Why he only wants him to play in the centre is because uh, of his limitations, and he pulls the rest of the players in around him to help his own performance. Um, but ultimately, he's not the best central centre-back uh, in, in, that, in any of those pairings. Um, and he's been poor recently and he's had a really bad pre-season, in my, in my opinion. Um, but So that tells you a lot, the captain being on the bench. But even so, the three yesterday, and two in particular, and you'll probably be surprised out of the two I'm going to pick, in that Clark and Fernandez for me, were not good at all. Really, really poor. For experienced defenders, they really let the team down in their positional play, and the lack of communication between them uh, cost us. Now, I'll go back to uh, Antonio's goal. Now, if you stop if you stop the screen, if you're if you're lucky enough to watch, well, lucky or unlucky, depending on how you see it, uh, to watch that game back at the point in, when, in which uh, I think it's Alan Set Maximin loses the ball. So if you were to stop it at that point and look at our defensive position, Federico Fernandez is the best part of fifteen to twenty yards in the attacking half. Now he's the central defender. He's the central of the three defenders. Now, if anyone's played football, will know if you play with three centre backs, which the team that I manage currently, uh, my son elite team, we play with three centre backs. They are told 
that that central centre-back is the is the standard bearer. Nothing goes beyond him. He holds the line. He is the furthest back of the three centre-backs. So to see him 15 yards into the attacking opponent's half completely just opens up the defence. Now, he's then having to track Antonio back. And as you can imagine, Antonio leaves him for dead. And he's having to make up the best pot of 60 yards to get back into the box. That is horrendous. Horrendous, horrendous defending from an experienced international, Argentinian international, an international that's been to a World Cup, having, you know, been out of position as badly as that. Now, a lot of people have talked on social media about Clark being to blame for that. I don't believe he was. I believe he tried to hold his position long enough to try and get the defender to come back in and, and cover the space. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to. Um, but even so, Kieran Clark doesn't cover himself in glory either. The amount of times that he had the ball on the left-hand side, in the, particularly in the first half, and played a needless pass down the line to nobody and effectively just gave possession back to West Ham and gave them the emphasis, considering we already 1-0 up at that point, um, absolutely baffles me for, for an experienced centre-back. Um, and it was happening time and time again. Um, and, you know, we were just, we, we were our own worst enemy. Um, and those centre-backs going into this season really do worry me because there is, for, for the experience that we've got, there is no leader in that centre-back's pairing at all. And you can throw Fabian Shaw into that and you can throw Paul Dummett into that. They're, they're all last-ditch defenders. They can all last this, get a flick on the ball. They can get a last this tackle in, which Fernandez did a few times. But you want defenders that can control a game. When you're 1-0 up, when you're 2-1 up, you want defenders that can control a game and can manage a game from the back. We have none of that. And that's the big key for us going forward this season. The whole, the whole defensive thing, you, you can take the three centre-backs and the, the full-backs as separate, but they, they come as an entity, don't they? It's a five-man unit and... The interesting thing about the way Newcastle set that system up is for, for our system to work, the fullbacks have to be the fittest players in the team. They have to be able to defend and attack and they have to be able to, to be smart enough to know when to do which one. We, we don't have that with those two fullbacks. And the interesting thing is we play this defensive style with two wingbacks that can't defend. You know, if we're going to try and sit back and, and hold teams off, play defenders in those positions instead of wing-backs. And then because, because those two lads can't defend, you then need centre-halves that have got legs and nous to cover, to cover the, the kind of overlaps in wide positions. And Clark and Kraft don't have that at all. Neither of them have got the, have got the gas in the locker to, to be able to cover those positions. And then, Pete, you're right. You have to control the game from the back. And when you look across those three centre-halves we've got there, none of them can make a pass. And you've got Fabian yeah. Shaw sitting on the bench. I know he's not the best defender, but in a three-man defence, he can be covered and he can he can actually contribute in terms of Newcastle holding onto the ball and, and, and spreading the possession. It's just mental. We are. We've got right into the defence, of course, straight on here. So so I was going to bring this up later, but it's interesting, Pete, that you um you picked on uh, Fernandes and Clark in all good points. I can't disagree with anything you've said. But for me... And, and this goes to the manager. The selection of Emil Kraft is scandalous. <laughs> like it's a scandalous selection. <clears throat> we talked a little bit um, podcast on Patreon through the week. Uh, me and Norman did a, a you know podcast. We did a podcast with Pete actually as well about our best eleven. And, and I said a couple of times. I think I think Bruce likes Kraft because it allows him 
or Jones, whoever's picking the team, um, it allows them to kind of overload the right-hand side. And they did that yesterday. We had at one point in the first half, you had Kraft kind of in a traditional fullback position, Murphy ahead of him, some Maximan out wide as well, drifting right, and you had Hayden who can come on to the midfield later. Hayden took up, seemed to take up a more advanced position than John Drew Shelby with Almiron kind of in the left centre midfield, Shelby holding and Hayden on the right. And there was five players on the right-hand side and you saw the first goal actually came down the right-hand side from St. Maximan's cross. That's why I think he likes him. The problem is he can't play football <laughs> at this level. He can't play He can't play football at this level. This is not... It's. It's. I've seen him play in the flesh. I've seen him play all last year. When has anyone ever come away from any Castle performance um, saying, oh, Emil Kraft played well? Emil Kraft played okay. It, it doesn't happen. The, the bloke gets rinsed repeatedly. Now, I'm going to talk through the penalty yesterday. I'm going to talk through the, the defence, what, what happened. I um, uh, personally offended once again by Steve Bruce. Now, and I, and I get it, managers do this, right? Managers come out and they pick on the referee because it deflects or whatever. Steve Bruce says that the penalty uh, changed the game. It was the key, key point in the game was a penalty. Well, I, I disagree for a couple of reasons. I'm going to talk about that now. But also, I get, I'm, I'm frustrated because why is it the fifth goal that has to decide the game? Why couldn't we get the fourth goal? Why, why, why does it have to be an equaliser and then... And then concede a goal. Why, why, why does it have to be the, the, the second goal that were conceded in a six-minute period? Look at that goal, okay? So, so the ball goes over to the left-hand side. It's recycled, and I think, is it... I'm, I'm, I might just be making up names here. Is it Kuyate who plays for West Ham? Is that a West Ham player? No. No, he uh, plays for Watford, didn't he? Watford. Um, well, West Ham's number eight, whatever his, whatever his name was. Um, the ball comes back to him, and he's in central position just outside the box. I've watched that goal three or four times now. Not one Newcastle player moves towards him. Alan Samaxaman is in about five yards of him, doesn't move towards him. Isaac Hayden is maybe 10 yards away, doesn't move towards him. He's allowed, This is criminal. He's allowed to take a touch, get his head up, and play a ball in behind uh, into our fullback area. Not one Newcastle player tries to stop that. So, so before we talk about the defence, that's a disgrace. You're going to concede goals in the Premier League if you give creative players the ball 22 yards from your goal and allow them to pick a pass, allow them to put the ball wherever they want to put the ball in the box. When he plays that ball in, Matt Ritchie runs in the wrong direction. It, I, I, if, if people on YouTube, if you're in the UK on YouTube, um, the goals are on the Sky Sports YouTube football channel and you can kind of freeze frame stuff as Pete was talking about and you can, you can look at the situation. So Ritchie runs in the wrong direction. That ball is going in behind them. It's four nails. That's what I meant. Thanks, Norman. You just type that in. Um, the ball goes in behind Richie and he's running out the box. That that in itself it just just proves everything you lads have been saying because that's really that that that's that's the action of a guy who doesn't hard defend. Okay, so so the West Ham um, winger or fullback is now in on the right hand side, and if and if you freeze the frame, this is just before the penalty. Newcastle have seven players in the box. West Ham have four. West Ham have both Mikel Antonio and Jared Bowen completely unmarked. Newcastle seven players, West Ham four. Not only has their lad who's got the ball, is he unmarked, West Ham's two goal threats are completely unmarked. The ball comes across, Antonio should score. It's a terrible miss. He hits the post. Then the ball rebounds. Newcastle have now got eight players in the box. I think another West Ham player who goes on to win the penalty um, is in the box. So it's eight against five. Um, And Murphy isn't aware, because he's not a defender. He He doesn't know what's behind him. He hasn't checked what's behind him. He takes a needless touch. His first touch should be a clearance in that position. When you're facing your own goal, you don't know what's behind you. He takes a touch. Is it a penalty? No, it's not. It was VAR wrong not to overturn it or, or send the referee. Yes, there were. But 
But I've just talked through like five or six catastrophic errors. And, and, and to be honest with you, we were lucky just to concede one from that. You know, if, <laughs> if we'd conceded three goals from that, from that 10 seconds, it, would, it wouldn't have been unreasonable. And this is, this is just to echo the, the points before I bring Norman back in a little bit. This is to echo the points the lads were making, then you were making about the defence. We are a defensive team. We set the team up to um, allegedly magnify our defensive strengths. He's been here two full seasons now, Bruce. This is his third season. He said, you know, he talked once again pre-season and through the week in the, the press conference about needing time. You know, he's already had an extraordinary amount of time, I think, for a Premier League manager. You could, you could argue that his results have been adequate and that he's kept the team where he found them. Spent a lot of money to do it, but he's kept the team where he found them. So maybe he, he isn't lucky still at being a job, but certainly by, by Premier League manager standards. I mean, you can ask a lot of managers would kill for three seasons in the Premier League at one club to try and implement their own style of play. My great concern about yesterday, it's not that we're lost. West Ham are a good team. And I think West Ham deserves some credit. They've gone in at half-time. Compare the managers, half-time team talks. Who came out Who came out knowing what they wanted to do in that half? It wasn't Newcastle United. West Ham played well. Is it a disgrace to lose to West Ham at home on the opening day of the season? No, it's not. We beat them twice last year. You can't win every game, etc., etc. However, I feel that there is a certain element of the reaction I've seen that just seems to brush off. We've conceded four goals at home. We conceded four goals, by the way. Jared Bowen was through one-on-one in the first half. Woodman pulled off a save. In terms of Bruce talking about the penalty, we saved the penalty. They didn't score the pen. The penalty was saved. Look at the reaction to the penalty. If you can see it, there's some, some people have put some images on social media. How many what, Newcastle got 10 outfield players? Um, nine of them are to the left of the penalty area. Matt Ritchie is left with, and who's slow, is left with two players. If the ball, if the if the ball goes that way, Matt Ritchie is left with two players. That's a lack of leadership. That's a complete lack of leadership from somewhere. Whether you want to blame Bruce, whether you want to blame Shelby, who's captain at the time on the pitch, whether you want to blame Fernandez, someone's got to look around there and say, "Lads, we're completely short on the right hand side of the box. If the ball goes in, in, in into the right hand side of the penalty area, they're going to get ahead of Ritchie and score." And it's like. People might think, um, you know, this is niggly. People might think this is hyperbolic because you're talking about small margins here. You're talking about rebounds from penalties. This, this is the pinnacle of football in the world. Do you know what I mean? And we, we can't even organise enough lads to stand at the right-hand side of a box when the opposition have got a, a penalty in case there's a rebound. And I feel, I, I feel really sorry for Freddie Woodman there because he's, he's been really let down. I heard some people say Woodman had a poor game. Well, he's literally saved a one-on-one that looked for all the world to be a goal and he saved a pen. He's literally give her, he's give her two goals. <laughs> he's give her two goal advantage and we've still conceded four. I think that reaction to the pen sums everything up though. It's, it's, a, lack of, it's a lack of belief, first of all, in the keeper that he can make the save because the, nobody's ready to react and it's a lack of desire. Like yeah. the only reason that it... A striker beats a defender at the ball and in a rebound from a penalty is desire. That's it, um, and, and we just don't have it. It, it. it was so clear, and it's been it's been clear for a long time. And this might sound really harsh on the players, but th- that like ultra desire to do everything you possibly can to win the game just doesn't quite exist in the Newcastle squad for me. And it, it, that that moment summed it up. Yeah, those of you who are, who are patrons who who listen to our new look match day podcast where we record the reactions of the crowd and the goals and all that kind of stuff yesterday. Um, on the recording, I say, and this is this comes back to Pete's point again. I'll bring Norman in after this point. Um, on the recording, I say for the Antonio goal, which ended up being the decisive goal. Um, so Maximan, I'm going to talk about him in a minute. Loses the ball again. I think it was six times I counted yesterday during the game. He was dispossessed in dangerous parts of the pitch. Um, 
Now, when that counter-attack takes place, everything Pete says is correct. What's Fernandez doing? I mean, I want to talk about the midfield a little bit. Maybe there's an argument made Fernandez is, 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 is looking what's in front of him, which is nothing. Because, <laughs> because West Ham, dominant. West Ham, I think Moyes has gone at half-time saying, you need to take control of this midfield, lads. Because, because once you take control of it, the game's won. And, and that's what happened ultimately. Rice, Rice had a brilliant second half. He was, he was everywhere. He ran the game. So Fernandez is maybe trying to step up to try and and stop that happening, but but still, I still agree with Pete that she shouldn't have been there. When when the ball breaks into the West Ham half, Kraft is left facing one West Ham player. Again, Kraft's got two choices: he can back off, or he can go at the ball. He backs off, and there's just a great old pass on to Mikel Antonio, which he makes. Kraft, he's got to be aware of the situation. You cannot back off in that. So you. you <laughs> if there's a pass on mate if you if you back off he just makes the pass now maybe if he'd gone in he wouldn't have stopped the pass anyway because he because he backs off so much so quickly that that he might not well, might that still might be a goal but it's it's a lack of like awareness on the pitch it's a lack of in-game management it's like i think there if if that's if that's a, a defender i'm you know not not i'm coaching anyone but but what i want to see my defender there is maybe take him out really badly is maybe go in quite hard and take a book in if you can don't worry about winning the ball don't worry about winning the ball. Just take him out. Why, why are you backing off? You've backed off and we've conceded five seconds later. You know, you said people have blamed Clark. I understand because Clark seems to follow the ghost of Jackie Milburn. There's like, <laughs> he seems to be tracking a run from a player. It's almost like he's expecting the run to go across him. But Antonio moves the other way and it, and it looks really bad. But I, I agree that Clark there is kind of damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Yeah. You know, to me, Kraft there, and it's not Kraft who, who was dispossessed, and it's not Kraft who's Newcastle's missing midfield, but to take it back again and to sum up, he's left Lascelles on the bench, he's left Shaw on the bench. I think Shaw goes in and cleans him out there two foot and probably, you know, I don't want him to get sent off, but you have to, it's like you have to do something in the game. There was too many times, and Pete talking about the first goal as well, the first goal, how was Aaron Cresswell basically on the edge of the six-yard box unmarked? When, when, we're, when we're matching their formation... It's in, 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 sorry, Norman, I've said I'm going to bring you in for 20 minutes here. I will. I think that Jones, Graham Jones, comes in last season and fixes a lot of the problems we have at the front end of the pitch. But there's been no attention paid to the back end of the pitch. And we have conceded uh, only one less goal than Sheffield United last season. Uh, we conceded more goals than Fulham, who went down and had a notoriously bad defence last season. And in addition, that was the third time in 12 months we've conceded four goals at home. Before Bruce took over and before that game 12 months ago against Man United at home, we hadn't conceded four goals at home since 2014 under Alan Pardew. So it's, it's becoming an alarming regularity and it spells big trouble for the season if we don't uh, we don't sort that out. Not very good points. Um, do you not think that Bruce has just left the defenders because they've been programmed by Rafa and they can't play any other way? <laughs> I don't think that's what it is. Um, I'd, I'd worry if Emil Kraft had been programmed by Rafa because he wasn't here at the same time. <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem, isn't it? The others have been programmed and he's like the... Um, He's like the he's like they've got a snap wire in the machine. I think um I think as well with with Kraft backing off, right? That's kind of something a fullback would do, right? If a if a winger's kind yeah, of up against him, you kind of you're backing and you're backing and you're waiting for the moment. You're trying to show them maybe maybe show them the touchline and then put your tackle in. And obviously this is again it, it's the same. I suppose it's, it, you know you, you map it onto the uh, the wing backs as well, Murphy and Richie, right? It, it doesn't matter if you put a player who can who can do an okay job in a position on occasion when certain incidents happen on the pitch, that player who hasn't ever trained in that particular position is going to struggle. So Kraft's, Kraft's default is to play 
like a fullback. So when a, when a player's running on him, he's treating that player like he's he's got a winger. He's got a winger running towards him instead of somebody through the center. And, he, and he's not he's not going to have the the kind of you know the the auto response to to do what he would do if, he, if he'd been trained as a centre half all his all his life. Um, I also think the midfield. It's easy to, to kind of blame the defenders and the wing backs, but you mentioned Rice there, and basically Rice got rinsed by ESM, like embarrassingly so for the goal. But what he did was more or less straight after that, he just started. He started to dictate the game, and now that we we took a two-one lead, and and also like I, I think a bit of euphoria kicked him with a lot of fans yesterday. It certainly did with me when I was watching the pub. That I was like, oh, we're playing well, yeah, we're playing well. On reflection, we weren't necessarily playing particularly well we're just doing what we what we do right we we get the ball to ESM we hope ESM creates creates something magic and we hope Wilson can get a goal and that's kind of what happened that that is like that's what default and everything we saw yesterday was basically what we what we've seen on a regular basis for the last two seasons and I think for me I'm not going to panic too much about this particular game because ultimately this is what Newcastle United on Steve Bruce we are a kind of litany of poor individual performances um in-game management being totally non-existent and just looking around the pitch, thinking, "Why did he do that? Why wasn't that happened? Why did this? Why did this happen? This is this is what happens in Newcastle. This is what Newcastle United. Honestly, Bruce, we could we could get a Villa next weekend and win two 0 and be like, "How did that happen?" This is this is the thing we haven't learned, and I don't think that we will. And I didn't see anything yesterday that was actually any any better or any worse than the previous two seasons. Um, and when you're playing with John Joe Shelby and Isaac Hayden in the centre of the park, up against Declan Rice, and they just let they just let him dictate the game, right? You. Nobody was snapping into Declan Rice. Not, not one person. We know that John Joe Shelby kind of tackle. Isaac Hayden kept popping up on the right hand side of the pitch because obviously, you know, it, it, I think as um, as Pete mentioned, and a couple of people have said that the fitness of, of the the sort of wide men, Richie and, and Murphy, it's not up to the standard of them to play up and down the wing, up and down the wing. So, so Hayden's having to kind of cover ground that really proper wing backs would be covering. Um, so it, it, it it's a complete mess. And, and on Woodman, like look. The only criticism I'd have of Woodman for yesterday is that he didn't come off his line. However, I'd caveat that with the kids are bagging nerves, and it comes back to what people are saying about leadership without at the back. You've got a, you've got a, a, a leader at the back, a centre half who's a leader, a young kid making his Premier League debut. It doesn't matter how many games he's played in the Championship, how many times he's played for England youth teams, how highly rated he is. This is his first game in the Premier League. It's on TV. It's after a pandemic. He's in front of fifty thousand fans that he's never done in his life. He's going to be a little bit nervous coming off his line, right? This is where you need your kind of captain, for example, you know, your captain of the team, or your, or your centre-half who's mostly just giving him the kind of instructions, giving him the kind of boosting his confidence. So I just saw a bit of a nervous performance yesterday, but, you know, it, to blame him for the defeat would, to, or, or see he had a poor performance is, is, is really off the mark. Um, there, were a lot of, there were a lot of worrying things yesterday, as I say, but nothing we haven't seen before. I think the, the biggest worry for me is that we conceded three goals in 11 minutes, by the way, but that was there was only sixty six minutes on the clock when the th- when the fourth one went in. Yeah, yeah. We had like almost half an hour and nothing happened. Like literally nothing happened for that last half hour, and that's the scary thing. If we'd gone kind of hell for leather for half an hour afterwards and pulled the goal back and had finished four three, and for the last 20, 25 minutes we were completely in the ascendancy. Fair enough, but we went four two down after like what half an hour again, and we just that was it. It was it was totally nutty. Game over. That's the concern for me from yesterday morning. Above anything else. Obviously, uh, Norman mentioned about you know the fact that you didn't really see much different in in terms of the performance. Uh, certainly, you know overall, but I, I I did certainly from an attacking point of view. You look at the amount of chances we created, the amount of shots we had on goal. Uh, you know we had the opportunity to maybe go three one up at, at half time with, with the amount of chances we created. That's not 
really been a Newcastle team that I've been associated with for the last couple of years because we go into games, whether it's home or away, and we, we barely live off two or three chances if we're lucky. We che- we created probably more chances in that first half than we would have had in maybe three or four games last season. Um, so that tells me that we're, we're going in the right direction in terms of an attacking emphasis. And if you think about throwing Willock in there, someone that can arrive in the box, someone that is box to box, he's got the energy, he's got the fitness, um, he's got the link play between the likes of, uh, you know, Wilson and, and ASM. And you can maybe throw in Murphy on there as well. Uh, you know, it, it it gives me a little bit more positivity um, that that we're going to go into this season and, and hopefully score more goals because that's been a big issue for us. The big issue before Wilson came to the sco- the club was that we don't score enough goals. Now we've got a goal scorer in there. We need to be able to provide him with the chances to score goals, but not just provide him with that. Is take the pressure off him, and I think that's what Willick did last season with his goals and with his attacking emphasis. It took the pressure off Wilson having to be the main man to score the goals. We need ASM to step up. Um, you know, uh, Norma mentioned about the fact that you know when we went four two down um, yesterday that, that that was it. We had nothing left, and I talked about it when we were on the the pod before. In that, when you get to sixty five minutes, ASM very rarely has much left in the tank, and he was. I was I was actually surprised that he stayed on for the ninety minutes, in that they took Wilson off, um, because he looked finished, like he was not creating anything. He didn't look lively, um, and he looked tired. Um, and, and we need to look after him because it's at those points in the game that if he makes one little sprint in his hamstring goes, we've lost him for five or six weeks. Um, and I think that's probably why we manage Wilson, but those guys are just incredibly important for us. Um, but they also need help from each other. And I think that was the big reason why ASM was so happy that Willett came back because he knows he needs those other players around him if he's going to be able to produce his best. And I think, you know, if Willett starts next week again, Villa, which I hope and I expect him to do, uh, we, we will see uh, even more attacking emphasis from this team. But as you've made the point, you know, defensively is where we need to look at really because we need to be keeping teams out. We cannot go into games conceding four goals here or there uh, because, you know, it's going to be a case of, you know, attack against defence. Are, are we going to be able to outscore the opposition? Um, and for me personally, if we're going into games like that, I, I don't believe that we will. I think we have to be a little bit smarter in our play. Like you've talked about already, you know, the little things about, you know, the, the positioning of players and the little things about, you know, Murphy not knowing his defensive abilities when it came to the penalty and, and our position, positioning when the penalty was taken, how so many on the left and none on the right. This is Premier League football. Premier League football, it, you get three points off these little things. These things are details that you need at the elite highest level and the Premier League is the highest level. So for our club not having those little details in place uh, and being discussed, that is a massive concern for me. But I believe that we will go into this season scoring more goals um, than we have previously and we will see a more attacking intent. And I think that's what Bruce is trying to do to his credit to a certain extent. But you can't just focus on one emphasis of of your play. You have to look at the all-round game. I would expect a former centre-back at a high level to be able to talk to his centre-backs and tell them what he needs to do. 
um, and not just focus on the attack. He should have that all-round ability as a manager. And I think that's where a lot of the question marks have been since he came to the club in that he just... He just doesn't understand how to be a manager. And it's weird me saying that for someone that's been in a manager for so long. He just doesn't understand what it takes to be a manager and what's needed. He's living back in the 90s where he can come in, have a little bit of a talk with the lads, um, have a little bit of a laugh and a banter, say the team on the team sheet and say, come on, lads, let's go. And that's it. There's no detail. You have to have detail to your game. The detail makes the difference. Um, and the detail was what the difference was in Moyes taking three points from us at St. James's Park yesterday and not. Really well said, mate. I don't know whether uh, either of you want to come in on, on anything Pete said, Norman or Mickey, and, and talk about the, uh, the attacking players. Um, but if not... I was quite, I mean, generally speaking, I was quite enthused with the amount of, not necessarily chances, because we didn't have many shots on target, but the half chances that we created. And when you think back to... That, that terrible run of games where I think we had one shot on target in six games or something like that, the pathetic at the start of this year. Um, that attacking performance was a million miles better than that. And I, I was saying that in a 4-2 defeat where we've only scored twice and only one other shot on target. But if we were putting in that kind of attacking performance that we were in January and February alongside the defensive display that we put in yesterday, we would be getting relegated with no points. <laughs> yeah, and I think before I bring Norman in um, that... I thought, you know, half-time, stood there talking to people. I thought it was, like Norman said, we were like, well, that was all right, but that's all it was. You know, Amaron hit the bar from a nice counter-attack. Um, unlucky there. There were a few other moments in the first half. The big concern, like we've said, is as soon as we went behind, there just seemed to be no chance that we were getting back in the game. And and again, and I hate saying this because I just want to hammer Bruce and blame everyone on him. You do have to give some credit to the opposition and say West Ham... Uh, managed the game incredibly well as soon as they went ahead and as soon as they got the second goal they the, the passed the ball nicely the Rice slowed the game down when he had to slow it down he's, cla- he's a class act it was almost the, 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 one of the huge differences between the teams yesterday was central midfield Norman Spot on all the points there um, I think Peter interestingly enough on, on 60 minutes yesterday I thought of uh, the point that you made about Maximin being um getting to sort of 60 minutes and, and every kind of advantage he brings you just kind of disintegrates, doesn't it? Um, it because he, he's fitness, isn't it? That, that level where he, where he can perform like he does for the first 45, 50 minutes. He can't do that for a whole game. Um, and, and you're right. Uh, absolutely. On that point, I think also, lads, you, you know, we, we did towards the end of last season and obviously Willock was a big part of it. Um, look more of an attacking threat. And yesterday, all right, we scored two, we scored two goals. Um, the first goal in particular, I thought was fantastic. So there is something to, to cling on to there. And Alex, it may tie into your point about Jones being brought in and, and kind of changing that dynamic. And, and, you know, Mickey said there that it was the start of the year when we basically had one shot and target in six games and that did change with Jones. So it's kind of got me thinking, like, do we need to bring in a defensive coach? Do we need to bring in a defensive coach? I mean, you know, it, it, and again, it, it's details like, like Pete says, right? You look at most of the clubs in the Premier League, they've probably got like a coaching staff, six, seven, eight coaches, right? We've got what? We had, I think Bruce started with two originally. It was Steve Clements and Steve Agnew and himself. And then he brought in Steve Harbour as a keeping coach. And then he brought in Graham Jones. And you think, actually, is there a kind of deficit here? Does it really need us to bring in another one or two coaches? You look at Benitez's coaching team. That was, what, five or six um, people he had around him. So so there might be something in that as well. But I think um, I think overall, the concern is, the, the big concern, and look, as I say, no panic button's being pressed. We're now at Newcastle United, like under Steve Bruce, the pull results from Neyway. Um The big concern is just that complete inability 
to do anything after 66 minutes at home as well, at home for the first time in front of fans. Like, you know, and occasionally you think, actually, they, they, like, everyone's going to be up for this. We've got half an hour, we can still do something. Yeah, and, and we we didn't. That that was a that was a worry. And I also think, again, Bruce's substitutions, it's oh. almost like they're pointless. Um, bringing Joe Linton on for, I think, for Callum Wilson with like six minutes ago. If you're 4-2 down against West Ham sit on 65th minute and you can see something needs to change, I'm not saying Dwight Gould's a Premier League player necessarily, right? But if you're going to bring a forward on with 25, 30 minutes ago, which is when you should be, bring on one who can actually score, bring on Joe Linton again. I, I'm not, I, I don't see Joe Linton developing into the player that people seem to think that he can be. Um, I, it was just a, a new brain had to bring on Gale earlier. And that's another frustration is like, do we do we ever actually learn when the right time is to make a substitution? Can I, can I just add to that? And I think it, it, it links into what you're saying, Norman. I, w- I was going to mention it before in that um, the fact that we didn't sort of pose a threat from the 65 minutes onwards um, tells its story in that the fans are crying out for attacking reinforcements. And they're not just, a, uh, they're, they're looking at getting attacking reinforcements in because because of that exact situation that we're in. When Alan Set Maximin is tired after 60, 70 minutes and he's not producing the same sort of magic um, that, that you would want from him in the first part of the game, uh, at that point, you need to look at who's going to be able to change the game. If we had, and I'll, I'll throw in a couple of names out here, but if we had, say, for example, a Solomon Rondon to come and bring on at that point in the game, he changes the game. He's a back-to-goal forward. He's he's going to get him right up, up and at him, those centre-backs. And those centre-backs are still going to be of the mindset that they're still in a game. At 70 minutes, those centre-backs probably had their most comfortable game that they're going to have all season because they had no threat whatsoever against them. So we need someone that's going to go in and really change it. For me, Joe Linton's not that guy. If you want Joe Linton to have an impact on the game, he has to start. But does he start in this team? No, he doesn't. So for me, I don't think he's going to really have an impact in this season in the way that people are kind of expecting him to. Um, because he, he needs regular games in order to put, so he needs three or four games if he's going to put one half decent game in. Uh, and that's just how Joe Linton works. If you're bringing him off the bench, you, you're not going to get anything. He's cold. He's not up to speed. He's not going to give you anything in terms of a goal threat. He's just a pointless sub, really. All you're doing is getting, you're just giving him his appearance bonuses uh, without sounding too harsh. That's all you, that's all you're doing. Um, Dwight Gale is of a similar mold. He's not going to score you a goal. He, he in, in my opinion, because he's not a Premier League striker. So that's where really the, the reinforcements need to come in. Um, and, it told you everything about the game when 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 we brought Callum Wilson up, off, um, in that Bruce had surrendered the game, and he's thinking more about saving those players at, at the risk of getting injured um, uh, than actually really going for it and trying to still fight to the last minute to to keep them in the game. And once he came off the pitch everybody's heads went down because he's the guy that's going to get you the goals. And if you're bringing him off the pitch, you're effectively as a manager telling everybody else, this game's done, just see it out. And, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, and again, uh, I would say it was it, it was really, really another poor decision by Bruce. Yeah, I think uh, just to finish on this bit quickly, you know, taking off Shelby, who has not played much in pre-season. I thought Shelby had a good first half, as it happens, but a very poor second half, like like the whole team. Um, taking off Shelby for Fraser, everyone around me was just like, what? 
So we're, we're basically playing well out of midfield. And then he had, he had to bring on long staff in, you know, 15 minutes time just to try and get, just to try and get someone with their foot in the ball in midfield. It didn't work, but it just, it, you know, I totally agree on the subs. And, and the thing about Gale, you know, fair enough, you say he won't get us a goal. And, and that's probably the opinion that I think most fans have. The guy's come on against Norwich last week and scored two screamers. Do you mean, and Joe Layton's played against Norwich and got subbed after 45 minutes and didn't didn't have a kick. And I know it's one game, but like talk about playing players who are in decent form. It was just a baffling substitution. But I imagine we'll be having this conversation a lot more on the podcast this season, very sadly. Um, I think I'll just touch on, to finish off then, the uh, the atmosphere in the game yesterday. I mean, I, I was the only one out of the three of us who were who was at the game. Um, me and Norman are going to Villa next week. Can't wait for that. Uh, it was a really, really good day. And I know we got beat, and I know everything's supposed to be terrible, but it was a brilliant day. I don't know whether other people listening who were there felt this, but people were just in good spirits. It was like Christmas Day. It was. People were just, people were happy, talked to loads more people. Um, it was just, it, you know, even post-match, people outside on the concourse, it, was, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't like we'd won, but it wasn't like you'd normally get. It was just a really, it was a really good day. The atmosphere pre-game was special. It was... It was really, really good. And then Wilson's goal. And listen, it's one, it's one goal um, in a defeat, but it was just, it was just unbelievable. It was just an absolute privilege to be there when that, when that went in. Um, you know, eighty months away, the first goal in front of fifty thousand since Hayden against Chelsea, <laughs> and loads of people will have missed that. That was the one nil win at the end of January twenty. Loads of people um, will have missed that uh, because they nicked off early. So you, could, him, right. so you could maybe say it's the first proper goal at St James since like Carroll against Everton <laughs> in 2019 uh, in front of a full crowd. Um, that was that was a great moment. The atmosphere was electric. I was in, in my seat in the corner, and it was really really good. And it was just it was just great. We back you know went to the Trent House for, for drinks. That was rammed. Really good, great drinking in a pub with football fans. Looking forward to the game, talking about the the team selection and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was a really, really good day. I was delighted to be back. I don't know how long that'll last. More defeats that we'll see, more lifting substitutions. But uh, it was uh, it was a pleasure to be there. I'm absolutely buzzing. Football's back, and I have me, I have me, uh, me zest for football back because I, you know, I said this a couple of times on Patreon. It's a different sport behind closed doors. It's a different sport. It's not the same. Um, you know. David Moyes was absolutely buzzing about the atmosphere, which is a shame because because <laughs> obviously a manager is only going to come out and say that once they've when won, win, yeah. once they've won. But but it, but it was you know I thought I mean listen second half it was flat because the, the game was gone the team were flat the sub the subs were shaked Bruce had given up like Peter said um, so, so the fans kind of gave up but uh, great to be back I'm missing Southampton fortunately because I'm holding but I'll be going to Burnley and uh, I think is it is it it's either Spurs or Leeds after that and. Um, yeah, can't just can't wait for those games. Can't wait for Villa next week. Uh, great to be back, and everything everything seemed to go to plan apart from the apart from the the second half. Uh, Laz, I think we'll we'll end it there. Unless there's a you know speak now if there's anything else pressing that you think we've definitely missed out and can't wait for another podcast on Patreon. Let's say uh, just on the point you made about being back in the stadium, the fans creating the atmosphere, which was fantastic. It was um, a re- the one positive I'll say from the club. It was a really nice touch um, uh, presenting Willick to the fans. I thought the reaction was amazing. Uh, absolutely fantastic. And I think Sky uh, for once actually captured that quite well. Um, 
But, you know, it, it, it's, it could be a, a talking point for another time. But, you know, just thinking about it now, could that, the, the adrenaline from the players, uh, you know, playing for the reaction of the fans for that first half, which was fantastic, may have been what drained some of the players in the second half in that they were playing on pure adrenaline from the reaction and having the fans back in the stadium. And then they just had nothing left in the tank. Something to think about, probably talk about it another time, but could well have been a reason for one or two, um, you know, uh, disappointing second half performances. I'm trying to, um, you know, be nice to them uh, as, <laughs> as we come to the end of the of the pod. Well, the more podcasts uh, you do with us, mate, the, the more that will be beaten out here. <laughs> you'll be... <laughs> You'll be tearing into them. I mean, the interesting thing about crowds is Bruce. There was a there was a loud booze at um, full time yesterday, but Bruce's you know didn't really get you know preseason. Pete was at a few preseason games for True Faith, and there was a bit of anti Bruce chanting. There wasn't any of that yesterday. Um, it was a funny point in the second half when the person who I was stood with at the match pointed out that um, Bruce was going to try and control a ball that went into the. Um, technical dugout and then he pulled out at the last minute because he probably didn't want to get booed <laughs> if the ball went to him um that'll but, get that'll get worse quickly if the results stay like yeah. they are though and it'll be worse next week away and we're gonna have a full aston villa preview on patreon of course it's a big game now it's a big game for Newcastle united and steve Bruce. you lose that game there's a lot of pressure on southampton at home a lot of pressure uh yeah we will leave it there. Thanks so much to everyone who's listened to the True Faith podcast and everyone who's watching on YouTube as well. Remember to hit like for the video and subscribe. We'll be back post-Villa, most likely next Sunday, the free podcast will be. So put that in your diary. Speak to you all very soon. Thanks very much, lads. Ta-da. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.